Hey, Women of Marvel listeners. I'm Rebecca Seidel, one of the producers of the show. Before we begin today's episode, I wanted to make sure you heard our last episode, where Angelique talked about the current state of unrest in our country. Angelique recommended five podcasts to listen to that can help deepen our understanding of this moment, and I hope you'll give them a listen. You can find links in the show notes of our last episode. We want to acknowledge that this is an ongoing conversation, one that doesn't stop here. We stand against racism, and we stand with the Black community when we say that Black lives matter. Not just now, not just next week, but always. We recognize that we have work to do. Listening is just the beginning. Now here's the show. We're seeing a lot more women in CEO positions, women in positions of leadership, and I just, I'm hopeful. Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast. I'm Judy Stevens. I'm Sana Manit. And I'm Ellie Pyle. Woo! Welcome, Whoa. Ellie! Yay. Hi, guys! Surprise! <laughs> Surprise! Okay, so we have exciting news today. Ellie Pyle is joining the Women of Marvel family as a co-host. She'll be joining us along with Angelique, of course, on upcoming episodes. And I feel like it's not you joining, it's you returning to Women of Marvel. So welcome back. We're very happy to have you here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do at Marvel? Why don't you tell everybody, give a primer on Ellie Pyle, everything you've, you've done with us and, and other parts of your life? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm very excited to be back. Uh, that is how I like to think of it, is coming back to the Women of Marvel podcast. I started out at Marvel in 2010 as an assistant editor in the Spider office, and I left in 2014 because I wanted to move to L.A., and I had worked on so many books that I loved so much that I was like, maybe I shouldn't press my luck. Maybe I should go do something else for a little bit. So I went to the Distinguished Competition and worked on... Uh, uh, creator-owned books for a little while and realized that wasn't as good of a fit for me, creator-owned. I really liked playing in an established world. So then I got the opportunity to go work for a video game company and help them establish a comics division. So I did that for a little while. And then the opportunity to come back to Marvel arose. And I am currently a director of content development in the new media department, where I'm going to be working primarily on podcasts, but I also occasionally get pulled into products in all other parts of the company just to kind of be an extra set of eyes as somebody who has been at Marvel off and on for a long time. Well, we are very excited and thrilled to have you on board. It's really awesome to have you back, Ellie. We really missed you. And it just makes sense. It just makes sense to have you here. Well, I am very happy to be here. I missed you all too. So in honor of these new beginnings, we are digging into our back catalog and we're visiting some of our favorite Women of Marvel episodes. I really enjoyed listening to today's pick, particularly as someone who spent time in the gaming industry. It's a roundtable with three video game journalists, Andrea Renee, Terry Schwartz, and Allegra Frank. 
Playing video games is a great way for people to escape and find community. So it felt like a great time to revisit this interview, which we originally aired in 2018. And as video game journalists, Andrea, Terry, and Allegra are always thinking about how games connect us. I still try to, you know, teach myself about different genres or different games that I missed out on. I really like trying to find, you know, an angle that I can write about. And people are like, I don't know why you wrote about this, but it was very good. And considering how much things have changed since then, we wanted to bring that conversation into the present. Thankfully, Andrea was kind enough to return for a follow-up interview with Judy. It was hard to deal with the ongoing harassment and to feel like I was always alone. And now I don't feel that way. And that's awesome. And I... I really hope that the women who are coming up now just maybe either graduating from high school or graduating from their college um, programs are looking at the state of the industry and going, it's a place where I feel welcome. And if that's where we're at today, then we've come a long way. You'll hear that conversation at the end of the episode. But first, let's listen to our original conversation with Andrea, Terry, and Allegra. We have Andrea Rene, the co-founder and host of What's Good Games podcast, and you guys report all about gaming and games and things and news and... Yeah, we do. do. So obviously predominantly a video games podcast. We do sometimes talk about pop culture and talk about like our favorite TV shows. I tend to talk about nerdy fantasy books a little too often for my co-host's pleasure, but yeah, it's a fun show. Yay. Well, thank you for joining us. And next up, we have Terry Schwartz from oh, IGN. I always say that coming to IGN, for a lot of people who like consider themselves nerds, but maybe we're the nerdiest one in their group, suddenly you inherit like a couple hundred super nerdy friends who are all passionate about the same things that you are as well. But yeah, it's just been uh, really fun and rewarding, and we've been doing a lot of cool stuff out of Los Angeles. And last but not least, we have Allegra Frank from Polygon. Hi, thanks for having me. I am a co-host of The Polygon Show, which is for women talking about games and soda and candy and TV and movies and a lot of things that have nothing to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> All three of you are in sort of the, the front lines of the gaming world or the entertainment world. Obviously, you get access to games before anyone does, else does, which is, you know, sometimes the dream. But first, before we get into the world of gaming, I want to ask each one of you how you got into these worlds. Like, what drew you to wanting to report on gaming and entertainment? And also, how you guys have built your careers, because each one of you have such an interesting perspective. I fell in love with entertainment news really young as a kid. I grew up watching Entertainment Tonight and wanted to be Mary Hart. Uh, when Channel One was a thing, when I was in middle school, I saw Lisa Ling and all these people, and I was like, I want to do that. So I went to school for broadcast journalism and then moved to Los Angeles after I graduated to kind of start my career to become Mary Hart. And along that path, I discovered that video games media reporting was a thing that I could do. Obviously, print had been around for quite some time with magazine format and things like that, but I didn't know people were reporting. And then I discovered G4. And then there's GTTV on Spike back then. And I was like, how do I get there? And that's really kind of where it kickstarted for me working on camera and video games media. And, you know, fast forward 10 years later, here I am. And I think we all played games growing up. But like, what was your childhood with games? So I had a bachelor dad. My parents got divorced when I was one. So he was very much like the fun parent on the weekend who bought us Nintendo entertainment system when I was eight years old. And so I grew up playing video games with my dad. And I just really fell in love with video games. 
I took a break when I was in college from playing games to focus on school and work. And then after I graduated, it was really the rhythm and music um, height during Guitar Hero and Rock Band's yes, heyday yes, yes. that got me back into playing games full time and ultimately led me to a career in video games. I remember the good old Guitar Hero days. Oh, man. <laughs> Guitar Hero 3 is like my fave. <laughs> Terry, how did you get started? I imagine that we'll all end up having sort of similar origins in terms of how we realized this was even a path you could take. For me, I similarly grew up playing games, but I think it's interesting that it was the time before the internet, or at least what the internet is now, where, you know, maybe you had a couple other friends who played games when you were growing up, but didn't have like this big community that you knew were out there. I won my first console by saving up 20,000 tickets at the Charlie Horse Whoa, in Massachusetts <laughs> and got my, my purple N64 and I'd had like a Game Boy before that. They need to bring the colors back. Yeah. Yeah. Colors. Those color when they do face. that N64 so classic, you know they have to bring the colors back. <laughs> Weirdly, I thought I played so many games as, as a kid and now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's this whole library that like I never touched on, like Turok and things like that that I never played. But I loved Super Mario 64. I loved Paper Mario. I really got into JRPGs. But I just really enjoyed fantasy as a whole. Growing up, I'd always wanted to be a fantasy writer. My dad was like, there's no way you'll ever make money as an English major. You have to be a doctor or a lawyer. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do either of those things. Uh, and someone told me, like, what about journalism if you really like writing? And when I was in my first semester, I went to Northeastern in Boston. I was like, really petrified because it was a lot of focus on hard news, you know, like political reporting and things like that. And I was like, none of these are for me. At the end of my first semester, I had to do a big feature and I ended up doing it on this guy who did Fooly Cooly cosplay at Anime Boston. Oh my I did God. this whole piece about him and like spent all this time on it and was really proud of it. And I was like, oh, I can write about things that I'm passionate about that summer in between freshman and sophomore year. I, um, got to go on behalf of the Boston Globe as like a very, very junior reporter to my first ever E3. And then from then on out, I just like had a very singular focus. And after I graduated, I moved to LA and sort of fell into the freelance scene and then eventually got some staff positions. How the world spins and moves <laughs> and time flies. <laughs> Allegra, you also come from like an interesting experience, although New York based. What drew you sort of to gaming and podcasting and Polygon? Much like you guys, I grew up playing games. I was very into Pokemon, and obviously there were games around that time. Um, this was right when the cartoon started. So I was like, I need that. I need all the Pokemon things. I love Charmander. I have my favorites. Mom, Dad, you got to get me that. So I got a Game Boy Color. I held on to it for years. It was my best friend. I played Pokemon for hours and hours and hours. So I pretty much just fell in love with the idea of games. And I've always been the kind of person who will spend tons of time learning everything I can about the things that I like, even as a seven-year-old. I would go on Game Facts and just read everything on the message boards or GameSpot or just Googling Pokemon fan sites. Throughout all of my schooling years, I was just like the gamer kid. I didn't super lean into that or anything. I wasn't like, gamer girl, hey. But that was my main thing. I just wanted to know everything. And as I got older, it wasn't just I want to know about games I care about. I want to know about news. And I started consuming everything. I was a huge Kotaku nerd, like to the point where I knew 
Brian Crescente's kids' names or his son's name when I was like 12, which is very strange because I ended up working with him. It's <laughs> <laughs> totally not weird at all. Did totally you, have weird. you told him that? Oh, yeah. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just read Kotaku every single day and start learning about other video games and the gaming industry. And I just wanted to know everything about what goes on back there, not just, you know, what people are playing or how to beat this boss. But then by the end of high school, I think my interest kind of changed a little bit. I think because being a woman or a young woman, there were a lot of guys in my, you know, journalism class on the newspaper staff. And anytime I'd try and bring up something about a new game, they would try and tamp that down. They'd be like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And I would say, no, I know exactly how many units Super Mario Brothers sold on the NES because it was packaged in with the NES when it was released. And they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about, but Call of Duty forever. And <laughs> I just did not. Please ha- tell me that conversation actually happened that it's way. Seri- on When the day that Modern Warfare 2 came out, I got in a huge fight with all the guys because I was like, no, it's not the biggest selling game of all time. It came out today. That's not how that goes. And they seriously were like, why does this girl keep talking? Like, you don't understand. And honestly, that experience alone really kind of turned me off of gamer culture. I just felt like, you know, in the public eye, I'm just the person who doesn't know anything. And I didn't really have female role models in gaming quite yet. So I just was like, okay, well, it's just a white man's world. So I went to Mount Holyoke College. I took a class my very last semester where it was about sort of the theory of new media. And we had a huge unit on video games. You know, everyone in the class was a woman. And there were other women who spoke up for the first time in my four years saying, yeah, I love games. I love this game and this game. We watched feminist frequency videos a lot. I did all of my papers on video games. My very last paper in college was about Animal Crossing and neoliberalism or something. (laughs) (laughs) At the tail end of college, my whole idea about what I wanted to do very much changed because I loved writing about the things that I loved. I had gone very far away from that. Everything had been so academic. So I was like, that was so fun writing about Animal Crossing. I want to keep doing that. I want to find, you know, those more literary journal type things for uh, video games like Unwinnable. And now there's like Orbital, things like that. And I want to try writing for those. And then Polygon was, you know, one of my news sources. And it just so happened that they had a junior reporter position that opened up. And I thought, oh, it'd be really cool if I got to meet these guys in the interview that I'll never get. And then it somehow worked out. I showed up and I was like, you know, I'm pretty green. I loved journalism in high school. I kind of had to move away from that. But I still always, you know, loved games in the background. And here's why I think that's important, especially as a young woman. And, uh, now here I am. <laughs> it worked out, I guess. It's I don't mean to, to jump in, but it's it's interesting because now I'm thinking back about like my experience playing games when I was a kid and how that sort of formed my outlook. And I had a bunch of guy friends who are like a few years older than I am who all played games and they played the types of games that I never really played. Like WoW had just come out, EverQuest Online, and even D&D. And they were always really welcoming. And it actually was a female friend who I had who was like, 
really into games. Like she was really into Halo and stuff. And she she would like disguise herself as a man, had a voice changer and all that stuff early on because you couldn't be a really competitive, uh, great gamer, female gamer without getting a lot of sexual comments or, or put downs. And I'm sure that's similar now, but it's it's changed versus where it was like 10 or 15 years ago. But yeah, she it was like it was weird where she was always the one where she's like, you're not really a gamer because you just like Pokemon and JRPGs. <laughs> like I play so much more than you. Yeah. And so it's like it's this weird thing, that idea that like I was never like a true gamer because I wasn't as deep, like didn't necessarily come from a guy. And I've always gotten a mix ever since. But it's weird. Like I, I know so many people who I've talked to where it's like such a divide. You didn't have a lot of female friends who played games. And then the guys who you talked to about it were like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, why Why is it like that? I don't know. It feels kind of unique to gaming culture, this sense of like, well, you don't have enough cred to be part of the culture, so get out of the culture. And how I played so many games growing up, but apparently I didn't play the right kind of games right. or, you didn't or the right types enough. of games. Yeah. And it wasn't until recently that I've really been able to kind of take that back for myself, which has been great, but it's taken me you know, how many years to get here. And so I hope, you know, if you're listening and you've ever been in that situation, which let's be honest, you probably have, know that you are good enough to be call yourself a gamer no matter what your gaming cred is. The thing that I really love about like actually working in games is I feel like the people actually within the industry feel that same way. People still make fun of me for, you know, only having just played Halo. Like I showed up and I was like, guys, have you played Halo? It's so fun. Like the original one. And they were like, yeah, I forgot it's 2001 Allegro. Um, But it's when I'm in public or something and, you know, just making small talk and someone is saying, oh, what do you do? And I say, I write about video games and TV and movies. And they say, oh, but you don't actually play games, right? Without fail, right? every single time. Yeah. That, that's the immediate follow-up question yeah. every time. They're always like, yeah, you must not actually, like, how did you get that job? You don't actually like games, do you? And I'm like, I do. I do enjoy games do a lot. Do you think that I would be capable of doing my job if I didn't <laughs> actually know the source material? As long as I've known women in my life, women have A, read comics, B, enjoyed entertainment, and C, played games. This is not a new idea. Something I've found really inspiring over at IGN over the last couple of months. <laughs> Terry just looked Ooh. at me like, oh, oh, what is more. inspiring from IGN? <laughs> so obviously um, the editor-in-chief on the game side is Tina Amini, who is a woman and a person of color. And when that happened, I'm also friends with Tina and I think she's amazing. That really touched me because I've, I've still never seen that for someone who's both a woman and a person of color at basically the biggest gaming entertainment site is so amazing. And obviously IGN still has a lot of guys and a lot of them are also in leadership, but it's been such a shift over the last you know year or so. And I'm curious how that sort of impacted the staff. When our editor-in-chief left, our boss and, and co-founder of IGN, Pear, looked at it and he was like, Instead of having an editor-in-chief, which feels a bit antiquated for what our site is going to do, I'm basically going to split this role in half. And so Tina and I together make up one editor-in-chief and our, like, counterparts on both sides. I was the first woman in the history of IGN to be in a management position on the editorial side. And now we have two. And, like, a director of branded content is a woman. And and our director of social is a woman and a person of color now. Like, we've had so many in the past year come on and, and be a part of it, not based on just having women and people of color, but 
at having skilled individuals in these roles. It's not just diversity hires. It's really to like strengthen the content you're making. Certainly been a thought. It hasn't been like an ultimatum that like, oh, you need to hire more diverse people. But certainly it's like been the thought, especially since Tina and I have been hiring, look harder. Well, you don't have binders full of women, Tara? <laughs> 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 no, it's like, it's, it's just, it's weird because like sometimes you do see like the same groups of people who like go around. It's like, no, there are more people out there now and it's finding those really talented people or like Allegra like you were saying like maybe when you came to Polygon you were like I don't have years of games experience but I have all these things that work in my advantage and I'm a hard worker and I know this stuff and it's like yes of course like we want to take a chance on you it's been really interesting and so that's why I like have a more optimistic outlook for all the crummy stuff out there um, that like this positive shift will continue to happen and more people will get the chance to tell more stories as long as we are like aware that this is something that we all communally want to work toward. Yeah, I mean, the binders of women will come from see, <laughs> young girls and young, and young boys at home seeing TV shows and different things where there's a wide range of people. I think that's important because you can't come to accept that women like gaming until there's enough women in the room. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. I was fortunate enough to be asked to be on an expert panel for a Vice show called The Business of Life. We were taking questions from the audience and a young man who was probably like in his early 20s really kind of put himself out there by saying, do you actually play games? But I, I asked because I don't know any women that play games. Like I grew up with sisters and none of them liked video games and none of my friends that are women play games. And so if you aren't represented, if you don't know what's possible, then you might not believe it's possible for you. Whenever like I'm having a rough day on the internet uh, or just in life in general, I try to remind myself that like the representation matters and what we're doing matters for those people coming up behind us. The thing that I love about what you guys have done with What's Good, too, is, like, you aren't trying to – first of all, I I did love from the start that you guys positioned it as not, like, four great ladies in games, which you guys obviously are. Um, But, like, you were like, we have this combined experience. Like, don't even try to question our validity in this. But I also love that you guys – you ladies – didn't try to be one of the guys, so to speak. It's not the idea that you have to be one specific type of person to like games or like comics. Like you can still be yourself and not be even a a stereotype of what like a gamer girl is. And I think that's really important to what you're doing. Absolutely. It's been so fun to kind of like meet and work with other women who who are different, who do represent a different type of woman out there because there's lots of us out there. Same thing at the Polygon show. We each have very different tastes in games. I'm usually the one who's into weird indie games that no one else has heard of. Or and then we have Ashley O, who's really into Overwatch and like games that will enable her to start screaming profanities (laughs) at people on her headset. But then we also still can bond over we all love cute things and we all love Japanese candy. And it is exactly what you're saying, Terry, of yeah, I play games and I love cute things and I love dresses and I love makeup. And we're going to talk about that on the show. It's so fun and cool to see when we do live shows. After the live show, it's a lot of women who do come up, but it's also a lot of guys. And it's always about you guys are so funny and so interesting and really smart about what you care about. And you all care about different things. And I love to see that. And I feel as though I'm talking to friends at 
Polygon, a lot of our management is still guys. And they're s- so supportive from day one. My, you know, editor-in-chief, Chris Grant, is one of my favorite people in the world. Like, sometimes I'll call him dad, and I don't think he likes that at all. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, that's the sort of relationship we kind of have where he really believes in me and encourages me and wants me to do things like this and go out there and be the face of the site. So, you know, the, the guys definitely are also there for us. And that's been really cool to see. That's so great to hear because as like the resident old person on this podcast, <laughs> um, it, was, it wasn't that way when I started at yeah. all. It was completely the opposite. I was usually the only girl on the staff of like all dudes. And it was just constant questioning of the authenticity to the point where I almost quit working in games media because I was just like I couldn't handle it anymore I was just like I'll go back to entertainment news no one's going to question me talking to movie stars on red carpets it's going to be fine Um, because I worked um, in an office with girls who ran a, a movie channel a music channel a fashion channel and I was like the lone girl running the gaming channel with a, a staff of all men I just remember not only like having, you know, some fights with my coworkers about specific video games. I do love all those guys. They're great. Not talking about them specifically, but with the community, I just got so much like heckling from people in my comments on my videos and my coworkers didn't get like any of it because it was traditional for a female on camera presenter to be talking about movies or TV or music. But You've seen it for decades, right? Exactly. I mean, Mary Hart. Shout out to Mary Hart. (laughs) (laughs) I had this moment recently where an old coworker of mine, who shall remain nameless, came up to me and actually apologized for the way that he treated me when we used to work together. And it was like a really like profound moment. We didn't talk too much about it because we kind of only saw each other in passing. But he was like, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And I was like hey, thanks, I appreciate you saying that. You really didn't have to. And he was like, yeah, no, I did. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you kind of did, actually. Um, And so it was a really really nice moment of validation or whatever. Not that I needed that, but I guess I needed that. So I want to segue to sort of a work question for yes. you guys. Let's do we it. We haven't been yeah, talking about work. It super <laughs> serious no, this is <laughs> amazing and everything I've dreamed of. This is great. Uh, as someone who works in comics and now this giant entertainment mogul company that has lots of content, you know, one of the things that I struggle with is having the time to watch, read everything. Obviously, I can't. And then still enjoy it. How do you guys wrestle with you have to play video games to do your job, but then still enjoy video games? It's a tough balance, particularly because this medium is so time consuming. You know, I think about probably some of the things that Terry has to watch or read for some of the coverage she's doing in entertainment. And I get a little jealous that like you just had like a three hour movie to watch. Whereas, you know, I get how many Netflix shows there are. (laughs) Um, You know, and I think about, you know, how I very thankfully was given a code for Red Dead Redemption 2 ahead of launch to prepare coverage. And I still didn't get it done, you know, because that game is like 70 hours plus. And how I would have loved to take my time with it and 
not have to do like back to back eight to 10 hour sessions to try to like hopefully get through it as fast as possible. And it's it's tough because the whole time I just really wanted to play Destiny 2. Um, <laughs> but I, I was like, no, you got you to gotta play this game. Um, and so sometimes that does color the opinions that you have of the content. And I'm sure, you know, if you have to binge watch a whole series in like a single day, it might not be as enjoyable for you if you're able to kind of like watch it at your leisure, you know. Marvel movies do a great job of this where they always keep you focused on the next thing that's coming in and the next thing. And it's like – Someone someone tweets a photo of like this weird like black and white thing and then you're like, what does this mean? And then like Yeah, it's like the next shot. And so it's like (laughs) never ending in that way. Some of my my coworkers who have been at IGN for over a decade are like, we remember when there used to be a slow season. And with games too, there's like never really a slow season anymore. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's particularly with how the way that the publisher model was previously set up has shifted so dramatically with the advent of digital and how um, digital distribution is not only changing video games, but obviously changing traditional entertainment as well. And publishers just saying, oh, well, yeah, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 had a release date, but that's not just one release date. We're going to put out this map pack at this point. We're going to add this thing to zombies at this point. Games don't end. Yeah, they don't don't anymore. And, And I think that that's both good and bad I mean obviously good because if you find a community or game you like like for me with Destiny I love that I can turn on my console and play Destiny at any time and there will always be something happening in that game right but it also means that because I want to be playing in like the daily content on Destiny and and doing my like light level grind that it means that I haven't finished Assassin's Creed Odyssey or Spider-Man or Red Dead yet, right? Like I haven't gotten to the end of those games because this thing is always be like, I'm shiny and I'm over here and you want to play me. It's tough. It's... I love my Switch because I can yeah. play it while watching things yeah. on the couch. Yes, I definitely uh, do that too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I've been, I've been joking with a couple of people I work with where they're one of them is really into games and one of them is not and they both cover TV and so she's always like, what do you mean you have time to play this game? There are so many Netflix shows for you to watch. And I, like we we started joking where I'm like, just multitask. Here's what you do. You put up a show on the TV. You play the Switch on your lap and you listen to the audiobook. And then you'll get all free. And they're like, are you crazy? It was a joke. It was a joke. But I was like, yeah, you could get all these things happening. What are you going to do about movies? Too bad. Just do it in the theater. Like watch Netflix on your phone. Play your Switch. Like, okay. Uh, Question for you guys, um, because you're talking about Destiny 2 and you love that so much. Um, You know, with Infinity War and Star Wars, we cover these things so much in the lead up. When they actually come out, are you still in work mode? Are you able to say, oh, wow, that was amazing. Let's all just like freak out about how amazing that is for a second. And wow, this game is so good. I'm so happy that I'm playing this game finally. Or is it still like, okay, work continues? I think the thing that's funny that's changed is in there just constantly being something else. There's like all this buildup and hype, whether it's in coverage or personal. And then the movie comes out and you're like, on to the next thing. Yeah. And so often, like you guys get games early. Uh, we, we face this at IGN a lot, actually, when people um, in the office will get something like God of War or Spider-Man or Red Dead early, play so much of it have those experiences of being so excited while they're playing it then the game comes out you put your coverage up and move on to something else and you forget that like people are just experiencing it then yes. and so you're like window 
show of so enthusiasm tough. is not overlapping it's in the hard same to, way. It's hard to find the other people to talk to stuff about, but it's challenging, particularly in games, if there's something that you kind of are, are stuck on because you can't look up a walkthrough or go to a wiki because it doesn't exist yet and you're under embargo and you can't specifically talk about it in public. And so you have to kind of find people in the industry that also are privy to that thing too and be like please help me or, or can we geek out about this I can't talk about this with anybody else and um, I had that moment during uh, Red Dead coverage because that game was just so meaty it's a fun terrible thing <laughs> it's well, not really terrible for but. us it's it's interesting where again like if you've had a game for two weeks and you experience all these really cool moments and your enthusiasm to like remember that when the game comes out and your community is having those experiences and like being there to have them with them. And so we're finding these things and these cool ideas, even though it's not maybe the first weekend it was out because other people are kind of slow to coming to that as well. That's so important, I think. Like I was talking to someone like, oh, I finally like I'm playing Spider-Man. It's so fun. And they're like, oh, yes, I remember Spider-Man. <laughs> and I'm like, like a month old. That came out like six weeks ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> but it is hard to sort of keep that balance of, yeah, I've played this already. I put a week into it already. And now you guys are finally wanting to talk about it. And yes, no, it's exciting that you want to talk about it. It's really hard to like maintain those lines. One of the questions we got on the podcast recently was from somebody that said, like, if you didn't play games, would you even play certain types of games anymore? And I was like, honestly, probably not. There'd probably be whole genres that I wouldn't even like consider or pick up or look at playing at all. I have to do it now because I want to be as diverse and well-rounded in my school of thought around games in general. Um, But that's what's great about having such a diverse cast on what's good and bringing in guests is that I can find somebody who hopefully that is their thing that they like. Um, And it helps us kind of keep the situation and the conversation as authentic as possible. I guess I'm kind of a weird privileged outlier. (laughs) So I still find playing games and watching movies and TV very fun. Just Um, give it five years, Kate. (laughs) I'm sure soon I will be extremely cynical and hate everything. But since I didn't really play games much during college, when I went to Um, When I went to Polygon, I was like, yeah, I want to play everything. This is so cool. Yes, I want to get into this again and start talking about it. And now I, you know, I mostly am lucky to play only the games that I like for review or in genres that I like. Like, I'm no offense. I'm never going to play Destiny 2. It's okay. But if you want to play it on PS4, come Mm -hmm. play it. Andrea, I'll get back into it after my year off. (laughs) We can fire team up. It'll be great. Okay, that might be fun. I do have a copy of it. So play Forsaken still. I need to get my light level up. I'm ready. Right. But we are lucky at Polygon that, you know, we have a pretty diverse staff. So I'm never going to be the one who has to review it. So I pretty much only get to play, you know, or only have to play the genres that I like. And so I always find that like a really exciting experience. Even now, I try to make sure that I don't just play the games that I'm required to for work. I'm not a big online person for some reason, but I like go to people's houses and we play Mario Party and I'm not going to write about that. I just want to play Mario Party. I go to my friend's house and I play older games that I missed out on. So now I'm a huge Metal Gear Solid person that everyone at work is like, shut up. No one cares anymore. (laughs) I still try to, you know, teach myself about different genres or different games that I missed out on. I really like trying to find, you know, an angle that I can write about. And people are like, I don't know why you wrote about this, but it was very good. You know, I think three years ago, I didn't feel as burnt out as sort of 
I do now on some things. And it's like making sure you don't get burnt out on the things you're passionate about because when your hobbies become your work, your work is 24-7. So do you sort of have any advice for young women and men out there who are interested in getting in gaming and entertainment? You're never going to uh, be successful if you don't practice, 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 practice. So just start today. Write something. Shoot something today. My advice is passion is great, but it's not enough. To Andrea's point, like you really do need experience. Don't do work for free. Find a place that will pay you, even if it's $5 a post. And just start at a smaller site. There will be work you need to put in, and it will be so validating when you do that. And then you come super confident with this great portfolio, and people say, how could we do anything but welcome you in? I always feel so underqualified, and I'm just listening to both of you and just looking at all of you. I'm like, yes, give me advice. (laughs) But I am going to kind of roll off what you were saying, Terry. And for me, the biggest thing has been confidence. My whole life, I just had none of that. But you have to just sort of walk into that interview with the content in hand and just feel confident about it. Just assert yourself. You belong there. No one can tell you you're not as passionate about the things that you are. It's so clear when you have someone like that who wants to put in the time to understand the totality of what they're doing versus someone who's just like, I'm the biggest Doctor Strange fan. Uh, I just see him on the wall. So You can't be yeah, off that. You can't be overprepared. Yeah. The one last thing I would say is contacts are really important. You won't start out with many, but you will meet people over the years. Coming at it from being a fan probably is not going to be as effective as coming at it from someone who is just in- interested in the profession and interested in having a conversation and having a serious talk about, like, how did you start out? What are some things I could do? Print out business cards, even if you're spending $5 or doing them for free online, give people something to remember you by. And slowly you'll realize that over the years you've created this Rolodex for yourself so that when you go around to try to apply somewhere, you maybe have one or two people who could put in a good word for you. Well, that was great. That was all great advice for uh, those who want to get into this industry. Industries? Plurals? (laughs) Plurals? I feel like we could just sit and talk forever. I want to thank all three of you ladies for joining us. This was amazing. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. So before I throw you out the door, where can fans find you on the internet? Um, So you can find me, Andrea Renee, at Andrea Renee on Twitter. Um, Please, if you're interested in checking out our podcast, it's What's Good Games. You can find it on all of the podcast services on Spotify or at our YouTube channel. You can find uh, at least my imprint on IGN.com. If you do want to follow me, I'm at Terry underscore Schwartz on Twitter. And I'm at Terry underscore underscore Schwartz on Instagram because apparently someone has at Terry underscore Schwartz (laughs) and I cannot get that back. So remember, one underscore on Twitter, two underscores on Instagram. I am Legs Frank on Twitter. No underscore, thankfully. There is an Allegra Frank already and they don't even use it. And that's the worst. It's like, who are you, Allegra? (laughs) Um, I co-host the Polygon show. Same thing on all your uh, podcast services, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and you can find my writing and uh, griping on <laughs> polygon.com. And that's it. Thanks so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. All three of them are such incredible women. I was so glad that we got to hear that again. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to hearing your follow up conversation with Andrea. So let's play that now. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I will say you are looking very great in your Thor shirt today. So thank you for bringing the Marvel game. Oh, thank you. 
I was trying to find something a little bit like springy because it's finally sunny again here in California after having rain for what felt like three weeks in a row. And I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to go talk to Judy, I should put my my Mighty (laughs) Thor shirt on. Well, very nice. I want to say that the last time we talked, we were in person. Man, we were talking before we started recording about how that feels like it's a lifetime ago. But it was such a fun experience to be able to come and see the Marvel offices in New York and to do the show with you. So thank you again for having me. Um, You're in your amazing L.A. studio. Look at this. Yeah, so we moved to Los Angeles last fall. So for people who don't know, my husband actually works for Disney in the games division, publishing and licensing. And so when he got the job uh, to come back to L.A., because I started my career in Los Angeles, I was super excited about it. But then I was like, what am I going to do about the What's Good Games studio? And so when we bought a house, I decided to convert our garage and now... This is what I've got. And turned out it was a little serendipitous <laughs> that I now have a production studio at my house so I don't have yeah. to leave. What, I mean, not good timing, but good timing? Yeah, it's it's double-edged for sure because it's like, oh, cool. I have this new facility that I can be very productive in. But then it's also like, wow, I spent a lot of money investing in this thing. And now it's like, how do I pay that off? <laughs> I'll figure it out eventually. Well, you're back in L.A. I mean, do you miss anything from San Francisco? Yes, I miss the food and I miss my friends. So there's a fantastic food scene in San Francisco and I miss going out to dinners with people and kind of having that camaraderie of people who work in and around the games business that I don't get to see anymore. I used to see them at trade shows and conventions all the time, but you know we've been grounded for a couple of months now. So it's like we really only can connect doing things like this where we're either Skyping, Zooming, FaceTiming, you name it, anything to kind of keep that person-to-person connection. Well, I mean, at least before this all happened, you had PAX East. So you had an opportunity to see people and like socialize. Very true. And I'm so grateful for that now. And I know a lot of people were really worried about it. And the amount of precautions that Reed Pop and the entire team at PAX and Stride PR took to make sure that everybody felt safe while they were there with sanitizing everything and making sure that people were washing their hands. Like it was a really great show. And I'm so glad that we got to connect with our fans there. Yeah. I mean, the same weekend as PAX East was C2E2 in Chicago. And I, it was such a, an interesting experience because it seems like a lifetime ago. I know. <laughs> so s- since we last talked, obviously you, you moved to LA. What's Good Games is still going strong. What else has been up in your life? You know, I've really tried to take this time that we've all been grounded to kind of refocus on some of my personal content goals. What's Good Games finally launched our Monday live show. We've been wanting to do more with live streaming for a long time, but never really found what our kind of passion project was because we all view game streaming very differently. And so we wanted to do something more in a talk show format. So really excited that What's Good Games Live is going every Monday now. So that gives me something to look forward to every week. And then I'm doing more personal game streaming than I've ever done before. And it's been a really great way to connect with people in our community and in the chat rooms and to play with people online and and still like maintain that friendship with people, even though we can't see each other. It's great that you, you know, you're using this time of sort of self-isolation to sort of strive for it and projects that you've been looking to do for a while. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy because on one hand, I want to do nothing, right? You kind of get into this malaise where the idea of being productive is just overwhelming in and of itself. And sometimes even just getting out of bed in the morning when you're amidst, you know, so much stress 
that can be incredibly challenging. But I think that for me, I've, I want to strike a balance between trying to be as productive as I can so I have something to focus on and something to keep me going, like one foot in front of the other, one day at a time kind of mentality. And making sure that I have a project on my calendar helps me go, okay, this is what I'm going to do today. Because I am somebody who works from home normally, not just while we're all you know, in quarantine. And I find that the way for me to maintain my success is to maintain a routine and really adding to that since I no longer have travel, my schedule has been important for me. But it's tough because I was just talking about this with a friend of mine who works in PR and video games and this unfair pressure that women in particular really put on themselves to do everything for everybody, whether it's, you know, cooking for your family, taking care of your kids, doing the homeschooling, and then on top of that, like being a rock star in your career and keeping your beauty up and like looking fly with your outfits. It's just like so overwhelming. We all have to remind ourselves it's okay to take a break. It's totally okay. The world's not going to stop turning, I promise. Yeah. I mean, having a routine, having a goal is definitely super helpful. You know, do you sort of have advice for people who aren't used to working from home, especially because you play games for fun and you play games for work? Yeah. How do you sort of have that line? Is it like you only play games for work in your studio and then you go outside and you play in another TV or? It's tough because there is a lot of crossover, particularly on that part of my job. And it's not as big of a part of my job as it may seem from the outside. I actually do a lot more behind the scenes, not playing games, trying to just run the business and manage the content. But you know what I found successful, I'm going on now six years of working from home since I went full-time contractor. And I find that if I set office hours, even if they're not rigid, but at least if I set them mentally, it really helps. And even if you're changing into athleisure wear, which is my outfit of choice <laughs> when I work from home, or changing from one set of pajamas to a different set of pajamas if you want to stay comfortable. Like, But just having that moment of change in your morning can really kind of help mentally be like, okay, this is going to be my shift into work mode. And like I have my routine where I, I get up, I feed my cat, I make my coffee, I put my outfit on and then I go to my my desk with my computer and I just like start doing my day and then at the end of the day you know also making sure you set an end time as well because I, in a digital era that we're all in with computers in our pockets in our phones it feels like you're always working you're always answering another email or taking a conference call or doing something and it's really important to go you know what at this point, I'm no longer looking at my email. If I want to like scroll through TikTok, that's another <laughs> thing. But email, no done. Yeah, I mean, that's so <laughs> smart. I guess almost it's like kind of good timing for the strange world that we've ended ourselves into where everyone has more time to play games. I love it. I love that more people are playing games. I can't tell you how many news outlets have approached me to get pull quotes for stories that they're doing about how do you recommend games for people who don't play video games or who maybe haven't played video games in a long time that are looking for activities either to do to keep themselves busy or to do with their kids or with their family. And I've really loved having those conversations because I'm a firm believer that anybody can be a gamer. I know that, that the word gamer even feels sometimes like a dirty word to some people. And like the idea of being part of gamer culture is like, I'm not a gamer. I don't play games. And I'm like, do you play Candy Crush? And they're like, well, yeah. And it's like, then you play games. You're a gamer. <laughs> Welcome. And I, I really like the idea of taking back the idea of what gamer culture is and who can be a part of it. And that's a lot of what we do at What's Good Games as well is to be like, hey, if you don't see somebody like you in games, it's probably just because you haven't found them yet and we want to help you find them. We want to help you 
understand that people like you are part of this community and it's a welcoming community where you can talk about your love and your passion for games and it doesn't need to be a place that you're afraid to be nerdy in and that you can really connect with people over the medium that you love. How do you see the gaming industry sort of tackling this time and trying to do their best to bring more gamers in and, you know, keep games being made in the background? It's been so wonderful to see how many gaming companies have really banded together to do support for people in other industries to say, hey, we want to raise money for our frontline medical workers. Hey, we want to raise money for restaurants and barcades, things that celebrate gaming community but are being hit really hard right now because of all the closures. And the amount of charity streams that are happening to help people who work in industries that are kind of tangential to video games development and kind of the business of games. And I've really loved seeing those communities come together. And from what I've heard, you know, numbers on Twitch and YouTube, Mixer and all the other platforms are all up because everybody's kind of flocking to these places to have that connection with other gamers. And as far as I've heard from the major publishers, they seem to be doing pretty well, selling more copies than ever, getting more registered users. But I mean, we're also seeing some of the people in the industry being hit as well. You know, you have things like video game delays, like one of the biggest delays that we just heard of was The Last of Us Part Two from Naughty Dog saying, you know, hey, we have to just push this out because clearly their team is being affected by the work from home order. And then having E3 canceled and Gamescom canceled, it was a giant bummer. But, you know, we're also getting these digital events, Steam announced that they're doing a digital festival where you can jump in and play these demos of games that are coming down the pipeline. And so I think that while the video games business has absolutely been affected by the pandemic, I think overall it's thriving, it's doing better, it's it's trying to find ways to keep people connected and to say, hey, we're all in this together. How can we help lift each other up? You know, we're figuring it out. Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but I do want to like get back to the our previous roundtable that we did with Terry and Allegra. How do you think, since we last talked, how the industry has changed? Do you think that there have been more opportunities for women? What do you think has sort of evolved since then? What I think is really great about our industry is that, you know, we tend to move pretty quickly in video games. And one of the awesome things is that we have these opportunities that continually pop up to allow new people to come into the space. And I love that because the industry is growing year over year. It means there's always going to be new jobs and new ways to get more diverse people in to have a bigger voice. We've seen a lot of companies make a concerted effort to diversify intentionally because that was something we were talking about a few years ago. It was like if companies don't make the effort to do it, it's not just going to happen naturally because you have to really go to these communities, whether it's people of color, LGBTQ+, or women who have previously felt like they were shunned from the video game community and say, hey, you're welcome here. Please come work with us. Please come be part of our community. And I love that we're seeing more and more of that each year that goes by. And so I think, you know, I look at where I was and how I was always being asked to be on like a women in gaming thing. And those still exist. And I think they're absolutely still important. But it feels like less and less are we focusing on the fact that the people who talking are women first and focusing more on the fact that the people talking are talented in their field first. For example, I got to be a part of an awesome panel at PAX West last year with Private Division and Obsidian Entertainment on The Outer Worlds, one of my favorite RPGs from last year. And it was a panel all about narrative design and all of the designers 
on the panel were women. And I loved that we got a chance to talk to both women at the senior level and, you know, in kind of like the mid-level about what it's like to work on characters and just focus on their work and not focus on the fact that they are a woman working. Because <laughs> I think that's the thing that women all over, whether you're in games or in another business, you get kind of tired of. You're like, yeah, good job. You recognize that I'm a woman, <laughs> but I'm so much more than that. And I think that's a good stride that our industry has taken to say, hey, you know what? We're going to start recognizing people for their talent and not just saying, hey, you're here because you're a token. And that's a conversation I feel like I keep having more and more about the idea of tokenism and how do we get away from it while still recognizing that we're in that transition period where we have to take those token opportunities when they arise. Because if we don't, then it's possible that that voice will never be heard from in whatever setting it is, whether it's a panel or whether it's a, you know, a job or an advisory position, what have you. It's like, yeah, I, I get out of principle. A lot of people are like, I don't want this because you just want me because I'm a woman. And I'm like, I will take it because otherwise you're going to put a man in that job and I would rather be there as the token. And so that's kind of like where we're at right now. But good strides are happening and I can only see it getting better. You know, platforms like Twitch definitely opened up the doors, even thinking about the moment now. Absolutely. I think there's a lot more ground to be made up in that field because still when you look at like the top 50 streamers or top 50 YouTubers, they are dominated by white men still. And listen, there's nothing wrong with white men. I'm married to one. <laughs> I love him. He's great. But I think, you know, what I would love to see is just more types of voices represented because there's, as I mentioned earlier, a bunch of gamers around the world that are all looking for their voice and the person who looks like them to talk about games. And I know that with each month and each year that goes by, we are going to see more and more of those. It's just going to take some time. But I love that there is so much more diversity at the upper levels. We're seeing a lot more women in CEO positions, women in positions of leadership. And I just, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for for the first time in a long time because it was pretty bleak when I started my career. It was it was hard to deal with the ongoing harassment and to feel like I was always alone. And now I don't feel that way. And that's awesome. And I really hope that the women who are coming up now just maybe either graduating from high school or graduating from their college um, programs are looking at the state of the industry and going, it's a place where I feel welcome. And if that's where we're at today, then we've come a long way. I think since we last talked, I really feel I've met more people, more women and more diverse people working in the industry. I, I feel it's also about like opening up the door and, and showing that there are jobs out there. I sure hope so. The hard part about doing anything when it comes to putting yourself out there is just getting started. And a lot of times we get people coming to us at What's Good Games asking, how do I do what you do? How do I start my own podcast? Or how do I start my own YouTube channel? And I say, you know, the easiest way to do it is to just start making stuff, even if you never publish it. So make a podcast, but then just keep it on your computer and listen back to it. Or stream to a private channel that you never tell anybody about, you know, or make YouTube videos that you, you know, upload to a private channel or you keep unlisted and you just show it to a couple friends and family. And I think that that's a great way for people who are like, you know, I really would like to start my own podcast to get started and to practice because you're never going to feel comfortable if you never take the first step. And so the easiest way is to just do it and know that 
for the first while, it's not going to be great. I just was looking back at some of What's Good Games' first videos, and I was like, wow, that was really rough. We've come a long way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, the only way you get better is by doing. So, you know, just get out there and, and do it. And even if nobody sees it but your dog, then at least you did something. Yeah. And I will say, having to edit my own voice has been a, a life lesson in its own way. <laughs> well, okay. So you mentioned What's Good Games. What, for those who haven't subscribed to your podcast, do you have a good episode or a favorite episode that you think people should tune into? Oh, boy. Um, we've got some really good ones. We have a bunch of spoiler casts, if that's your thing. If you already have you know, a lot of knowledge about video game fandoms and there's a particular game, you can check our spoiler cast playlist on our YouTube channel. But we did a couple episodes earlier on in the year, a predictions episode. We did our most anticipated for 2020 episode, which is a good place. And we also recently did, since, you know, it's now 2020, uh, our favorite games of the last decade. A lot of people were putting those lists together, and we wanted to take that opportunity to talk about it, too. So that was a fun episode. But we do two episodes a week now, and our Friday episode is usually around two hours in length. So we cover the weekly headlines, then we cover what we've been playing and I just encourage you to take a look at the show notes. So we do pretty detailed notes on our show because our show is so long. And so you can take a look at everything that we talk about and you can see the time code of where we want to talk about it. So if you're like, well, maybe I don't want to start with a whole three-hour episode of What's Good Games, <laughs> um, you can go to some of our shorter episodes and kind of dig into the notes and see what works for you. But I mean, we're a female-run company and we obviously have you know all kinds of guests on the show, not just women. But we love that we get to spotlight some of our friends in the industry. Most recently, we had Jessica Chobot on the show, which was really fun. She has a new show on Discovery. And back in uh, at PAX, actually, we announced we got our first part-time hire, Rihanna Manuel, and she's fantastic. So we're glad that she's part of What's Good Games as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us, as always. Hopefully, we will talk some more games in the future then. Yes, thanks you so much for having me. And I'm glad that you guys are holding it down at NYC. Stay safe out there. Thanks again to Andrea Renee for coming back to be on the show. It was such a blast chatting with her, and I just really appreciate her insightfulness. Make sure you follow her at Andrea Renee on Twitter. And another huge thank you to Terry Schwartz and Allegra Frank for joining us for that original conversation. You guys can check out the original episode, Woman of Video Game Journalism, wherever you listen to podcasts. It was first released on November 21st, 2018. So, Ellie, you worked in the video game world for a while. What are your thoughts now listening to these interviews? I found a lot of this very familiar and very relatable, but I particularly enjoyed all of the discussion of diversity of perspective, both in terms of how many different types of games and gamers there are out there and that they don't always match up in the ways you would expect, but also how important it is that we have that variety reflected in the journalism approach, in, you know, the people who are writing about these games, that we need all of those different perspectives talking about what games are out there, what games are good, so that everyone can hopefully find the one that's the best fit for them. Yeah, I love that. I think it's so important to make sure. I mean, we talk a lot about diversity behind the scenes, and that's obviously such a big part of Women of Marvel. But like just the the simple idea of just how that content is covered and how that makes a difference for one, obviously how you're reviewing the content, but also like who is going to then pick that review up and actually start like 
picking up content, picking up games accordingly. Like you don't realize like the nuanced approach to having multiple voices on all aspects of the entire process of making content and and consuming content as well. So if you enjoyed this conversation, if you're playing a video game that you want to tell us about or just want to say hi, hey, what's up? What's going on? Send us an email to womenof at marvel.com or tweet at us at marvel using the hashtag women of marvel and actually ellie how do people get in touch with you now that you're officially part of the women of marvel team i am at ellie pile on twitter so very easy Ah. to remember so you have a very mature handle not name unlike judy and myself (laughs) mine is at mini b 622 And mine is OMG underscore DJ underscore Judy. We created ours basically in the 90s as screen names because I thought that's what you had to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad I'm glad that you are uh, bringing your your sense of maturity uh, to the women (laughs) of Marvel team. We very much needed it. And we're excited to have you uh, just, you know, just learn, just learn a lot more from you. So 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 welcome. Happy to be here, and I'm sure I have a lot to learn as well. (laughs) Well, thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This is Marvel, your universe. Women of Marvel is produced by Rebecca Seidel and Zachary Goldberg, along with Judy Stevens, Sana Amanath, Anjali Crochet, and me, Ellie Pyle. Our development manager is Kieran Heffa, and Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. 